in your Bibles, the church Bibles. Um, so here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph of, on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surround me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Thank you, Hannah. Good morning. Good to see you all. As Nathaniel said, my name is Richard. If you don't know me, uh, welcome to you this morning. And uh, obviously now you know we're in Psalm 18. Just before I start this morning, I kind of I, I, I like to do this from time to time. But um, uh, we we believe that the church is a family. We are members of God's family together, sons and daughters of our Father. And uh, always, many of you will know this already, but I want to just remind us to keep praying for our brother and sister Morris and Grace Chibamba over there as well. Um, most of you will know Morris is still waiting a kidney transplant. He's way down on the list and uh, has dialysis multiple times a day. And so we need to A, pray for these guys, pray for healing and pray for breakthrough in that. And uh, B, it's quite a lonely existence being at home, being on dialysis multiple times a day as well. So the Chibambas are about the most hospitable family I know. They have said, show up at their house. So can you do that, please? Can you text them? Can you message them? And can you just show up at their house from time to time? But also, just keep them in your mind and pray for them as well. Is that okay? Great, good. Bless you, Morris and Grace. Well, um, if... Uh, uh, if you're a guest here, just to explain the context of where we're at, we're in a five-week series in the book of Psalms. We've called this series God of Refuge, and uh, today's the last day of, uh, of that uh, series. Next week, Nathaniel's going to be preaching something that's on his heart, and then uh, we're going to be preaching through the books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians up until the summer, but today we're in Psalm 18, and uh, the, this is the final psalm as we... Um, look at and consider and have been considering over the past five weeks how these psalms help us to see in an anxious 
and confused and chaotic world that for the Christian, our God is a refuge and a strong tower. He stands steady through the ages. Nations rise and fall. Nations uh, rise and fall. Rulers come and go. Culture snakes and shifts in different directions, and we rise and fall with cultural trends. Sometimes the world makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes our lives go well. Sometimes our lives don't go well. But what is consistent and what is true is that in every season of life and at every time in history, God is good and God is able and our God is a never-changing, ever-powerful refuge. The, the kind of summary of what we're saying in this series is taken from this um, saying in Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. That's what this preaching series invites you to do. Whoever you are, whatever your situation, run into the strong tower that is God and be safe and be saved. That's what I'll be talking about this morning, and that's the invitation to you this morning as well. Now, by way of background, Psalm 118 is uh, it's part of a package of six songs from Psalm 113 to 118, known as the Egyptian Hallel. Hallel is just a, a, a word for a song of praise. And it's known as that because they are songs of thanksgiving for God's protection and deliverance of Israel from Egypt. This one was written to commemorate the exodus of God's people from slavery in Egypt. And so in every generation, families would sing it after they ate the Passover meal as they would remember how God had defeated Pharaoh through the 10 plagues that he sent on Egypt and how this had led Pharaoh to eventually set Israel free from slavery in Egypt and how God had opened up the Red Sea so that they could cross it safely. And so for generations... This meant that during the Passover festival in Jerusalem, as part of those Passover celebrations, a choir of priests would walk down the street in between the the thousands of people lining the streets as they approached this massive temple where they'd worship God, maybe a little bit like this picture here, and uh, they'd be calling all the people on the sides of the streets into worship through Psalm 118. Now, picture that scene and imagine what that would have been like as you listen again to the first few verses. The worship leader says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And then he would say, Let Israel say, His love endures forever. And those who are Hebrew by birth, Israel, would say, His love endures forever. And then they'd call on the priests to join in. Let the house of Aaron, that's the priest, say, His love endures forever. And the priests would chant, his love endures forever, and fill up the streets. And then they'd call on the whole assembly, everyone who worships God. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. And the crowd would sing, his love endures forever. Imagine that in BCP. So it was a, it was a celebration song. And it was a song for the festival, a kind of call and response. Sometimes when our own worship leaders are leading us in singing, you may have noticed that kind of mid-song, they they sing out and ask us a question. What's God like and what are we asking for? And then we sing back the next line in response. Psalm, Psalm 118 is a little bit like that. It's a song of celebration and a song of thanksgiving sung by people at the time of the Passover 
In fact, Jewish families to this day still recite the Hallel uh, as they, after they've eaten the Passover meal once a year at the start of what we'd know as the Easter week. Now, what's important about that is that the night before Jesus was crucified, what was the meal that he shared with his disciples? It's the Passover. So that means that it's quite likely that straight after that meal, the Last Supper, that Jesus and the disciples would have sung the Hallel. It was the custom, after all, which would make Psalm 118 possibly the last song that Jesus would have sung that night as he and his disciples made their way up to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be arrested and ultimately sent to the cross the next day. Now think on that as you consider the words he would have been singing. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. would have felt like that. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. It's the story of what will happen to Jesus over the next three days. Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. He roots himself in that solid truth. God is good. God is with me. Okay, so even if I'm surrounded and hard-pressed on every side by enemies, what can mere mortals ultimately do to me? I've been rejected by my people. I've been betrayed by my friends. I'm about to be arrested and put to death by the Roman Empire. I've been forsaken. I've been let down on every side. But verse 7, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. Therefore, I look in triumph on my enemies. You can imagine him singing, It is better Therefore, to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. He's going to the cross, and he's singing the song. I'm not going to trust in humans or be swayed by princes. My hope and my refuge is in my God. It would have been so much easier at this point for Jesus to compromise knowing what was coming, to water down his message, to stop healing people on the Sabbath, to apologize to the high priest, to surrender to the Roman soldiers who would beat him and crucify him the next day. It would have been so much easier for Jesus just to go, okay, you've got me. I can see that I'm upsetting the status quo here, so I'm just going to retreat back into the backwaters of Galilee, and I'm going to live out a quiet life as a carpenter. I'll, I'll make furniture. I'll pay my taxes to Caesar. I'll attend the synagogue on a Sabbath. I'll live by your rules, and I'll keep quiet. That's not why he came. He came on the behest of the Father with a, a radical message of a new kingdom that was coming and an invitation to all the, the weak and the lowly and the powerless to come into relationship with God and with the power and the authority to forgive sins, yours and my sins, and to heal the lame and to give sight to the blind and to demonstrate in small measure all the goodness and the power of God through signs and wonders, turning water into wine, providing food for 5,000, healing the leper, casting out demons, calling in the, the beggar and the outcast, and to overturn the system of religious laws that were keeping people under legalistic distance from God, and to ultimately give up his life as a ransom, as a price to be paid for our sin, so that we didn't have to, and so that we could be saved from ourselves, and saved 
for a relationship with God. That's why he came. That's the gospel. That's why he didn't retreat or stay silent. That's why in the face of the darkest night, as his enemies surrounded him and the Roman soldiers neared him and the Roman governor and the Jewish religious hierarchy conspired against him and the cross was being prepared for him, he didn't back down or compromise or run away or stay silent. Instead, he walked into the garden knowing that he would soon be arrested and violently beaten and crucified as he sung the Hallel of Psalm 118. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. He sings verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He sings verse 17, I will not die, but live. He sings verse 28 and 29, maybe the last thing he ever sang before he went to the cross. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And just like the choir master would have been doing at the great Passover festival, he invites us to share in this song with him. Let all Israel say, his love endures forever. Let Gateway say, Let Gateway say, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Let 502 say, As the storms rage and brew around me, and I'm tempted to compromise or lose my faith or let my foot slip, let, it, let us say, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Gateway, the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Do you need safety today? Are you lost? Do you need to know where to run to? Are you caught up in the turmoils of life, of personal brokenness, of loss, of addiction, or emotional storms, of relational damage, of grief, or financial worry? What we've been saying here for these last few weeks is this run to God, run to His strong tower. Run to his refuge. Do it. Don't delay. Do it now. There's safety in his name, and he will protect you, and he will lead you even through the darkest valley as he walks alongside you and shepherds you home. I want to pick out um, just three verses from this psalm that I believe make three points about the nature of our God and the safety that there is to be found in him. The first one is, our God is better than any earthly king. We've already said this, verse eight and nine. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. This is, this is basically the challenge at the heart of this whole preaching series. It's better to take refuge in God than anywhere else. And so my question is, where are you seeking refuge? What is your reflex action? When things go wrong, who do you turn to? What do you think of? Where do you think you'll find peace and security? Jesus said that where a man's treasure is, there also is his heart. It's, it's a really clever way of saying that whatever you prize most in life, that's where your ultimate devotion will be, and that's what you'll trust above all else when the going gets tough. 
If your ultimate treasure is in relationships, that's where you'll run when the chips are down. If your ultimate treasure is your sense of self-mastery, your intellect, your strength, your ability, then your reflex action will be to run to those places when the day of trouble comes. If your treasure is in your financial provision, then your heart will be led to constantly strive to build up enough financial security to give you a sense of safety in that. And you'll run to these places and you'll seek refuge there over and above seeking refuge in God. But we know from the Bible and from human experience that no amount of money can give you eternal life. No amount of clever thinking can establish peace with God. No amount of nice clothing, furniture, food, work success can lift your depression. No government policy can cure your diseases. These things may all provide temporary relief, but ultimately, all of these things are maladies of the soul and body, and so they need a soul and body doctor, one who knows you and understands your every thought and inclination and struggles because he made you, he knitted you together, it says, in your mother's womb. A man of suffering himself who can sympathize with your deepest sorrow because he himself has walked the sorrowful road. One who didn't sit back in the comfort of heaven watching you as you flail about in your pain, but who came to you and who entered into that pain with you and who has done an eternal work of establishing eternal peace and eternal healing and eternal salvation because he himself endured the most brutal horrors of the cross for us. It's better to take refuge in God than to trust in princes. We've got a national election coming up this year. There's one in America too. We'll hear all sorts of salvation narratives from the candidates on both sides of the Atlantic. That's how this stuff works as we get closer to that date. In the race for the presidency in America, we're already hearing the campaign slogans. One candidate promises a new beginning. It's compelling because it taps into what we all desire, a redo, a fresh start. It's an opportunity to wipe away the errors and the regrets of the past, a new beginning. Who wouldn't want that? Another candidate offers the way to freedom. Who doesn't want freedom? What's the alternative, a vote for captivity? He's offering what the human heart desires and can only find in God. Another campaign slogan, because the truth matters, duh. He's tapping into the fact that all across human societies, we've lost track of what is true, and we can no longer agree on one common version of the truth anymore. And we're all desperate for meaning, for answers, to help us to know who we are, and who we can trust, and how we should live. All of these politicians and princes will offer a type of salvation story, a version of the truth, a way for you to achieve freedom and happiness. But we know earthly princes are fallible and mortal. We've seen that up close and personal even this week with, our, with the health crisis facing our very own King Charles. Princes and kings can only offer so much, but they can't solve the deepest problems of the human soul. The truth that we are all distanced from God and in all sorts of pain and trouble and driven by all sorts of striving. And the only way to resolve this and to find freedom and hope and salvation is by being reconciled to God by placing our trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Princes, politicians, advertisers, campaigners, businesses, they'll all offer a type of salvation. We need to have our eyes open to this stuff. They'll all offer a grand story to compel you to place ultimate trust in them. I, I used to work for a, a global telecoms company. Our story to the world was that we were improving the world by improving lives 
by connecting people. Really what we were doing was selling cheap SIM cards made by people on minimum wage. But that story doesn't sell. So we dress it up and we try to convince people to give their lives to our cause and find meaning and hope there. That's, that's what earthly rulers do. But there is only one version of the truth. There is only one truth. One way to find freedom and peace. One story. It's God's story and every other story. All of our little stories are simply sub-stories of the great story that he has written over human history and over your life and is working out day by day in your life. So don't place your ultimate trust in the little stories offered to you by men and princes. Trust only in God. Find peace only in God. Find safety and security only in God. Find ultimate refuge only in God. Find salvation only in God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who has come to you and he has seen your need and he has taken all your sins and errors and shame to the cross with him and nailed it there and wiped you clean and made you whole and offers you eternal life with him. That's the claim of the psalm, and that's the free offer to you today. In every way, you can find life and freedom and a new beginning in Christ. Life will present all sorts of opportunities to test your allegiance and to root out where your heart is and to where you can run for refuge, but this is the truth at the foundation of every other truth. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The second thing, our God is better than any other thing, any, uh, any other king, but our God is better than any other God as well. Verse 14 says, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. This is actually a direct quote taken from um, a song that is sung in Exodus 15, verse 2. Let me take you back for a moment, if you know the story, to uh, when the people of Israel have been led out of Egypt, they've endured the ten plagues, the gnats, the frogs, the flies, the locusts, the hailstones and fire. God has led them out of slavery from under the tyrant Pharaoh, and they enter into the desert, and then they come to a point where they reach the Red Sea in front of them, and they look behind them, and they realize that Pharaoh and his entire army are chasing them down with blood in their eyes, and they're trapped. And so, as you know, God parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites pass through the waters safely to the other side. And as they do, Pharaoh and the Egyptian army enter into the sea behind them, chasing them down. And as they enter into the sea, as the Egyptians enter into the sea, God closes the waters over them and destroys Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian army. And the Israelites stand there, looking out over the Red Sea and all their enemies that have been defeated, and they sing a song. This is how that song goes. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Here it is. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. That's the line that Moses and the people of Israel sing, and it's been quoted here in this psalm as a way of remembering God's power to save and rescue his people. Now, 
It's important when we think about God as our safe refuge and as a mighty protector to understand something about what he was doing in Egypt through the time of the 10 plagues so that we can understand why this line is quoted in this psalm and so that we can take confidence in him. If you cast your minds back to that story, you'll recall that the people of Israel have been in brutal, unrelenting slavery under Pharaoh for 400 years. It's one of the key stories of the Old Testament. And God sends Moses to Pharaoh to tell him to set the Israelites free so they can come out of slavery and become the worshipping people that God has always intended them to be. And Pharaoh, in his arrogance, of course, says no. Moses asks ten times, Pharaoh says no ten times, and each time God sends a a judgment or a plague on Egypt. In the first one, he turns the Nile to blood. The, The Nile is the source of life in Egypt. And then we see an infestation of frogs and gnats and locusts and boils, pestilence of livestock, thunderstorms of hail and fire, the sky turns black for three days, and then finally, in the face of complete rebellion, God takes Pharaoh's son, and eventually, as I've already said, he closes the waters of the Red Sea over Pharaoh himself, and he takes his life. And that's when the people of Israel are singing the song. But we need to see the greater victory that God achieves through the ten plagues. It's not just about overcoming Pharaoh's army and setting Israel free. The ten plagues were a battle and a crushing victory over all the gods of Egypt, Listen again to the plagues. Blood in the water, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, death of a firstborn son. The Egyptians had a god for each of these things. Harpy was the god of the Nile. Hecate, the god with a frog's head. Kepri, the god who makes the sunrise. Hathor, the goddess who protects livestock. Isis, the god of medicine. Where was she when the boils erupted? Newt, the goddess of the sky, couldn't hold back the hail. Neither could Seth, the god of storms. God overcame them all. But who was the greatest Egyptian god of them all? It was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was regarded as the greatest god in the pantheon of the Egyptian gods. And God removed his offspring in one fateful night. And he took his life in the waters over which he presided in a flash. Gateway, this, this world offers up many little gods. Usually they come to us one way or another in the form of sex or money or power. Each of us will have vulnerabilities in one or more of those areas. They promise much, but they deliver little. These are the alluring things of the world that aren't bad in and of themselves when kept within a biblical framework, but the problem comes when they offer the protection and the kind of soul satisfaction and salvation that belongs only to God. And as quickly as these things tempt the senses, like Pharaoh, if you aren't careful, they'll enslave you. And they so often do. That's the very nature of addiction. That's the very nature of our discontent and our happiness. It's when we try to find things to satisfy our souls, usually sex or money or power, that will always ultimately fail you. We try and place things on the throne of our hearts and we make a God of them when the only God that should be enthroned in our hearts and our lives is God himself. 
Which is why God makes such a point of overthrowing the fake gods of Egypt as he sets his people free from slavery. And it's why we must be careful not to place ourselves back into slavery to sin and death by seeking refuge and placing our trust in things other than God. He's created a a wonderful world full of beautiful, enjoyable things, but none of these things are ultimate. Only God is ultimate. And Moses and the Israelites realize this as they stand on the bank of the Red Sea that morning, bedraggled but relieved as God removes their slavery and he wipes out Pharaoh and all the other fake gods. And they sing, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Can you imagine what that would have been like? There's maybe no greater moment in the Old Testament than the exodus from Egypt. God's rescue of his people from slavery you were to walk up and down that beach that morning as the Israelites sang that song, interviewing them and asking them where they would find refuge, I bet to a man they'd all say, in God, look, horse and driver, he's removed. Pharaoh, he's removed. The stinging whip of the slave driver, he's removed. All the gods of Egypt, he's removed. Don't be tempted to put your hope and your trust in fake gods and idols and trinkets and philosophies and ideas and riches that this world offers up. Refuge and deliverance and salvation is found only in one place. It's with our God. Third and final thing. Our refuge is found in the cornerstone. Verse 22 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, Recall the choir would have been singing this psalm as they approached the temple. And so they're using an illustration from what they're seeing, from the building itself. And they're they're talking about the cornerstone of the temple. In in building science, the cornerstone is simply the most important stone in the foundation of a building. It's the stone upon which all the others sit, and it keeps the building solid and accurate and sturdy. You measure the other stones by the placement of the cornerstone. And so no proper cornerstone, no proper building. And so as Jesus is on his way to the garden that night before his crucifixion, he sings these same words, he is the stone, the cornerstone that God's plan for humanity should have been built on, the stone that every life should be built on, but in that moment has been rejected. But he also knows, and he sings in confident expectation that even though he is the stone that's been rejected, that through his death on the cross and his resurrection and uh, victory over death, three days later, he will become the cornerstone, the eternal and everlasting cornerstone Jesus knows that he's destined to death on the cross. That's why he came. That was his purpose and his mission on the cross where he will face the ultimate rejection of humanity, where he will become like the stone that the builders look at and reject as not fit for purpose. The stone rejected by the people and the religious leaders, the so-called builders of Israel. And in so doing, through his rejection and humiliation, and suffering, and death on the cross, as he spills his blood and his body gives up his final breath, he will take away the sins of the world, 
And in that moment, he will open up the way for all time between man and God, and he will make righteous every single person who says yes to him. And he will make possible through his death the way for you and I to become sons and daughters of God in whom all refuge is found for all eternity. And in that sense, the rejected stone, the rejected Christ becomes the cornerstone, the most important stone in the building, the stone upon which every other stone and every other life is built. No cornerstone, no building. So too with us. No cornerstone in our lives, the building gets wonky. It shifts and it skews and it buckles under weight. We need to establish ourselves on the cornerstone that is Christ Jesus. That's where we find refuge. In Jesus Christ, the stone the builders rejected, sacrificed for you and I, now through his blood spilled and his victory over death through his resurrection, he has become the chief cornerstone upon which we can build our lives. He's ransomed us from death. He's purchased us away from the penalty of sin, raised on the third day. He overcame death, and Scripture tells us how he now holds the keys to death and Hades in his right hand for all time so that he can offer you life in him now and eternal life in him in the age to come. He has, Gateway, the keys to death and Hades, and therefore he decides who goes in and who comes out. He can remove you from all sorts of death at the command of his voice. He's overcome Egypt's pharaoh, and he's overcome every other type of pharaoh that would seek to enslave his people since. He is the savior of humanity. He is our ultimate refuge, and he is the cornerstone upon which you can build your life. If you want to know God, if you want to know refuge with God, run to Jesus. Place your faith in no other man or prince or pharaoh or God. Run to Jesus and bury your faith in him. He is the strong tower of God into which we can run and be safe. He is the chief cornerstone. And if you are built on him, if you are built in him, you are very, very safe. That's the offer. And that's the provocation to you this morning. Will you come to Jesus? Or will you run to Pharaoh? Will you find life and freedom in Jesus, or will you stay enslaved in sin and death? You don't need to be. What did they sing? Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. He has become my salvation. We're at the end of the series now. Our claim is that God is our refuge, that you can know him, and that you can run to him, and through faith in Christ, by clinging to him, and trusting him daily, you can be safe and saved. And so I'd love you to respond to that after the service. And if that's you, come and speak to me or one of the leaders here on the front row. And we'd love to pray for you and help you to take the next steps. But I, I want to finish this series with an excerpt from a letter written by Paul about 60 years after the crucifixion in a letter to his friends in uh, the church in Rome. This is, for me, the definitive refuge passage in light of all that I've said this morning, in light of all that God is, and in light of all that Christ has done for us on the cross, this is what refuge in God looks like for us in an anxious world, in a chaotic time. Paul writes, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Shall news headlines and climate change and wars and crazy 21st century life? They didn't say that. I said that. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's what we're called to be, Gateway. More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, not earthly princes or people of power, not the little gods and pharaohs of our age, not anxiety for the present or the future, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, you are known and you are loved by God, and to put your hope and faith in Jesus is to gain for yourself salvation and freedom and hope that is unbreakable by anything this world offers up or throws at you. He alone is our refuge. Should we pray?